0: 91.3 KXCI Tucson, Real People, Real Radio. Hello, Tucson. Welcome to 91.3 KXCI Radio. This is Kathy Harris bringing you Broad Perspectives Radio. Broad Perspectives is a program by women, about women, but for everyone. You can learn more on our Broad Perspectives Radio page at kxci.org. My co-host, Aspen Green, is unfortunately not here today, but she will return next week. For today, we have a very interesting guest to talk about something we can all relate to, sleep. Einar Chai from the Arizona Sleep Center completed a sleep medicine fellowship program at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which is one of the most comprehensive training facilities in the United States. Having a primary care background... Dr. Okchai realizes an inseparable relationship between healthy sleep and overall well-being. She has an extensive research background at the Mayo Clinic, focusing on the cardiovascular aspect of sleep-disordered breathing. In her clinic, the Arizona Sleep Center, they treat patients of any age and use multidisciplinary approaches to treat sleep-related disorders. Dr. Okchai listens closely to her patients to create a unique plan that will fit the individual patient's lifestyle and improve the quality of their sleep. Dr. Okchai, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we're so delighted you could take the time to be with us today to talk about this very important issue to all of us, sleep. We usually ask people why they moved to Tucson, so I'm going to ask you, How does it you ended up in Tucson.
1: I grew up in Turkey, a beautiful country, and as soon as I graduated from medical school, I moved to United States because my husband, who is also Turkish, was living in Minnesota. So I ended up working at Mayo Clinic and went to Iowa for my residency training, came back to Mayo Clinic for uh, further sleep medicine training, but I just decided I wasn't happy in cold. So <laughs> also, I went to Montana for my first job and was there almost four years, but decided that I can't raise kid and be happy in cold environments. So basically, the weather brought us here. We are happy here. <laughs> and that is what
0: most people come here for, including myself. <laughs> and believe me, I have family in Minnesota. I don't go there in the wintertime. I understand perfectly. <laughs> Let's start out by you telling us what attracted you to the field of sleep medicine.
1: I started volunteering at Mayo Clinic at their clinical research lab. I was fortunate enough to get research funding from the National Institute of Health, which allowed me to stay at Mayo Clinic almost three years. And during all these times, I was learning sleep medicine in depth and fell in love more. During my training at Mayo Clinic, I did a few publications presented at international and national conferences regarding all about sleep and cardiovascular health. And at the end, I also wrote a book chapter regarding sleep apnea and liver disorder. So the sleep is so interesting, and but at the same time could be challenging because it's typically patients are unaware of their particular symptoms during sleep. Unfortunately, in most cases, patients blame their symptoms of unhealthy sleep to the other areas, which could delay the diagnosis. And moreover, patients could have misdiagnosis, and especially in the mental health area, that ends up taking unnecessary medications. This is what I typically see in my clinic that after we make the thorough diagnosis and link to their symptoms, sometimes we can end up de prescribing all their existing medications and able to help them understand what the real issue was. So I am also a primary care physician, so I cannot imagine an optimum treatment for a patient of their chronic illnesses unless we address their sleep health as well. So as far as research studies has been shown that there is a 50% link between having high blood pressure, arrhythmias, which is an irregular heart rhythm that can cause stroke. There's a link between untreated sleep apnea and heart attack, sudden death, anxiety, depression, cognitive impairments, such as dementia or Alzheimer. It's important to mention that sleep could worsen immunity and could cause hormonal imbalances. As you see, I can go on, but I'll stop here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fascinating,
0: though. It sounds like what you're saying, rather than other problems causing sleep issues, it's the sleep issues that may be causing the other problems.
1: There is a big link between, of course, other illnesses, the medications. I mean, anything, everything can affect our sleep health. Many times the sleep disorder, diagnosing sleep disorders, there's a significant delay. Then patients end up developing other illnesses, which could have been prevented if someone studied, let's say, 10 years earlier rather than, you know, later. So that's what I see often. Okay.
0: That's very interesting. Tell us, what specific reasons do people come to you for at the Arizona Sleep Center?
1: So patients can come to us for all kinds of sleep issues, but most commonly, sleep apnea is one of the leading sleep disorders, which is the very important due to cardiovascular link. Of course, insomnia is a very common diagnosis. Patients with excessive daytime sleepiness, narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome, I think these are the most common I also have a group of patients that I've been helping with Ram Sleep Behavior Disorder, which is an interesting disorder which can be dangerous to their bed partner as well as themselves that can lead falling out of bed or causing serious injuries.
0: Okay, that's a lot of different reasons. When people have these sleep disorders, how does that affect the rest of their life?
1: These are excellent questions. So I would say that if you live with a sleep disorder, you would be on a survival mode. So it all depends on how long and how severe the sleep disorder is. The patient could end up with chronic fatigue, high blood pressure, obesity, hormonal imbalances. For example, erectile dysfunction, even at a young age, is expected in the setting of untreated sleep apnea. And patients end up waking unrefreshed and tired could definitely increase the risk for anxiety disorder and depression. And moreover, it's also negatively impact your romance and ability to sleep with your partner. So nobody would enjoy sleeping with a partner who snores and stops breathing. So some other sleep disorder also leads patients to move and toss and turns. So again, it's hard to maintain a healthy sleep if your partner is not sleeping well.
0: Wow, that's a whole raft of things that sleeping problems can cause. When a person makes an appointment to see you, what can they expect? How do you evaluate their needs? What do you look at?
1: Patients go through extensive questionnaires regarding their daytime and nighttime symptoms, including sleep-wake cycle, which means what time do they go to bed, what time they rise. And important to know their regular habits, including caffeine consumption and timings. when do they stop and how much you know they consume? And when do they exercise? How is their diet? So I all need to know their daytime habits, the routine in order to further evaluate. After that, I start from the basically the time that they rise until they go to bed. Because it's hard to maintain a regular sleep pattern if one cannot maintain a regular lifestyle with healthy activities and, of course, including healthy diets, then I dig down on what could be happening during their sleep. I frequently also take a collateral history from their bed partner to know more about the patient since many of the sleep symptoms, patient cannot describe it, Right. And afterwards, I decide if they need a sleep test and what would be the most beneficial sleep study and the labs to order. And at the end, I could basically link their original symptoms and the test results to come up with the optimum treatment plans. And very important to again understand patient's lifestyle when recommending a treatment plan to to increase the compliance and success. And after starting the successful treatment plans, patients are scheduled to have close follow-up especially during the first month to review the treatment efficacy and help with any further issues. Because sometimes patient comes with one symptom, but it could be from two different sleep disorders. So I address what is most important first and then expect to see the symptoms should resolve If not, then we address the secondary, maybe less important sleep disorder. I don't like to put patients on medication during my first appointment. I always work, understand what could be the root cause. Let's treat the most important one first and let's see how your symptoms will evolve. That's how how it goes. That's a pretty complete way of
0: evaluating Let's talk about some of the specific issues that you deal with. I know I have a number of people with restless leg syndrome. So let's just start with that. What is that? How do you evaluate it? And what kind of treatment do you give for that?
1: So restless leg syndrome is one of the most common sleep and movement disorder. It affects an estimated up to 10% of adults and up to 4% of children in the United States, twice as high for women as it was for men. If the patient is not on any pain medication or sedating medication, then patient could pick up their symptoms because many cases, patients live with untreated restless leg syndrome, but they have no clue because of their medications, the suppressing effect. But typical symptoms present as creepy, crawly sensation or heavy feelings Typically involves legs, but could be involve arm or abdomen or head. Basically, patients could describe, I have anxious mind. I can't shut down my brain. And very important to mention that it's not a numbness or tingling or pain. It's another category. It's a creepy, crawly or heavy sensation that builds up. So restless leg symptoms improve with movement or massage, but during the resting, they come back, the symptoms comes back, which can be very annoying during the evening and bedtime or middle of the night. And I think you ask, how would I treat? So to answer to that, if I suspect the restless leg diagnosis, I start doing a very thorough history. Actually, we don't need a sleep study for restless leg treatment. So we start asking question about if they were a premature baby, or what type of diet they follow. So for example, if the kid grow up drinking lots of milk, drinking milk, especially with meals, could lead to low iron storage because calcium binds the iron and affects the iron absorption, which there's a huge link between developing restless legs. And the restless legs could be hereditary. So I ask if their mom or siblings, parents had any symptoms. Many patients with restless legs, they complain as, oh, I have insomnia. Then we we determine the treatment plan based on the individual cases, basically. Okay.
0: And that's certainly something that can affect your sleeping with another person too. So it's important to get treatment for that. Now, I see that you list on your website three things that you treat that sound similar to me, a layperson. So maybe you can explain to our audience what they are and what the differences are. And that is insomnia, hypersomnia, and parasomnia. What are those three?
1: So insomnia, I think everybody knows, is very common. So basically, patient might have trouble falling asleep or maintaining a sleep or early morning awakenings. So it could be short term, less than three months or long term. So the thorough evaluation is the key and very important to rule out and treat other sleep disorders that could be mimicking insomnia symptoms. So the next one, you said Hypersomnia. Basically, by definition, it's an excessive daytime sleepiness, which could impair ability to work and drive. And the last one, you asked parasomnia, which is an abnormal behavior at night, which could be sleepwalking, sleep eating or acting out during dream or some other rare conditions such as sleep paralysis, which they all could be categorized as parasomnias.
0: And at this point, I think we'll take a music break. The song that you have chosen for us is one that I absolutely love. It's called Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Do you want to tell us, <laughs> what, was there any particular reason why you chose this song?
1: No, I just like it. And I think all the successful women's, all the women in the world are all on fire, I guess. We always keep going and never give up. <laughs>
0: That's a good way to put it. You know, the lyrics of this song convey a powerful message. The chorus repeats the phrase, this girl is on fire, which is a metaphor for strength, resilience and passion. Keyes describes a woman who is brave, unyielding, and unstoppable, who has overcome adversity and is now achieving her dreams. But in essence, she's reminding women that they're capable of achieving anything that they set their minds to. And you're a good example of that. So let's listen to the song Girl on Fire by Alicia Keyes. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. And what a perfect song for us. You're listening to Broad Perspectives Radio on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Kathy Harris, and my guest today is Dr. Einorg Okchai from the Arizona Sleep Center. Now, I see that you also talk about sleep-related breathing disorders. What do they entail, and what kind of treatment do you recommend for that?
1: So basically, the sleep apnea is a very serious condition. It's very common. 13% of men and 6% of women could be suffering from untreated sleep apnea, So it's severe obstructive sleep apnea is associated with increased all-cause mortality, especially cardiovascular diseases, cerebrovascular events, type 2 diabetes, cognitive impairment, decreased quality of life, and could lead to motor vehicle accidents. This is basically a repetitive closure of the airway that leads to low oxygenation at night. That's the bottom line of why this disease is so dangerous. And patients, of course, don't realize the significance during the sleep. And their bed partner could pick symptoms, of course, like snoring or stop breathing or gasping. But pretty much patients are surprised to hear those symptoms. Basically, the continuous positive airway pressure, so it's known as CPAP, therapies has been the gold standard for obstructive sleep apnea. And luckily, the newer machines are very quiet, so which delivers a pressured air to prevent the airway closure. And the newer machines are also purifies and humidifies the air. Patient used to complain a lot of dryness or nasal congestion, but the newer machines luckily have much better futures. So all of these, of course, increases the tolerability and the compliance rate. Of course, I review the alternative therapies such as dental appliances, positional therapies, and there are various upper airway surgeries. It all depends on the severity of the sleep apnea and type of the sleep apnea and what patient really wants and they could tolerate. So that's how we determine.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that those machines have become a lot quieter. Many years ago, I was married to someone who had a sleep apnea machine and oh my gosh, it was Uh so loud. But I understand that they are much quieter now. That's good to know. Yeah. And this seems like not an uncommon condition. I know quite a few people with that condition.
1: It's very common. And unfortunately, as the obesity increases and the poor diet, the inflammation, all of those are also contributing to higher prevalence of sleep apnea. Now, you
0: have a research background at Mayo Clinic in the cardiovascular aspects of sleep disordered breathing. Can you explain a little about that and what have you discovered about it?
1: The bottom line is that we discover untreated sleep apnea increases the risk for hypertension and atrial fibrillation around 50% of the time. So that was significant. So some patients with atrial fibrillation, they can go through surgeries, ablation or medication, but the recurrence risk was also high if one lives with untreated sleep apnea, because if you have this low oxygenation, the hypoxemic stress that every night it triggers further cardiovascular diseases, We also discovered that if you're not sleeping well, you would eat more carbohydrates and junk food the following days, which leads to obesity, brain fog, and increases risk for diabetes, because you're not getting refreshing, you know, you're not waking up rested, refreshed, and of course, you know, you will be again the survival mode, and what happens, we eat more carbohydrates and junk food the following days.
0: Well, it's really good to know what happens to people who don't treat it, because I do know people who say, I'm not using one of those machines, forget. (laughs) Okay, you know, I was just wondering, do you recommend non-traditional methods for sleep disorders, things like meditation, acupuncture, natural herbs, that kind of thing?
1: Yes, I do. So I'm a very big promoter for traditional and natural methods to help well-being. And anything that could help protect our mental and physical well-being will absolutely improve our sleep, such as meditation, healthy diet, you know, movements, stress management. So, you know, therefore, if one likes to meditate, knows how to meditate, it's excellent. So go for it. If you feel like acupuncture is helping you relax and help with your pain, of course, it should improve your sleep quality. But I like to do the homework as well. So we really need to do our homework to be able to take care of ourselves means have dedicated time to move play exercise dance anything that you like on a almost daily fashion so it's very important to me to go to grocery store pick up quality items which must include veggies and fruits beside your protein choices so rather than just ignoring ourselves and just eating out and you know sitting having desk job and whatever i mean i consider i have a desk job too but I do squat, I do yoga, even for five, 10 minutes. I like dancing and I have trampoline. And I mean, anything, everything can be uh, implemented. Uh, We don't need hours and hours to do it. So I see that cooking is a meditation because it's so important. We don't get any quality food when we eat outside. And of course, all of those are worsening our health and sleep. So regarding herbs and supplements, I would come up with a few names such as The magnesium glycinate, especially the form that magnesium has many different forms, but the glycinate is good for evening. Valerian root, L-tyanine, ashwagandha, chamomile, or lavender tea could be consumed in the evening to see if one could get benefit. It's very important to eliminate caffeine after 2 p.m. Also, not to nap after 2 p.m. is important. So, Power naps are great for all of us, but it should be only 30 to 40 minutes maximum, and it should be done before 2 p.m. in order to not to cause problem in circadian rhythm. So those are very important. Hopefully, maybe next year, I would like to organize actually educational seminars and wellness camps for our community because these points are should be emphasized. So there are basic things that could impact our well-being if we do it right. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's very helpful. I haven't heard of all those things like don't take a nap after two o'clock that's good to know. Before 2pm is good, but not after 2pm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about the sleep tests that you do. I know I read that sometimes you give patients the equipment to take home and do their own sleep test. And sometimes they come into your sleep lab overnight to have it done. How do you decide who does what?
1: So we have two different types of testing. So the one is the most common one, uh, home sleep testing, which of course insurance also plays a role. They are cost effective and could be convenient. So basically home sleep study only measures your oxygenation, heart rate, could measure snoring and the sleep position. But very important to mention that home sleep study doesn't measure brain wave activities, So it's not a good test for insomnia, which is a very common sleep disorder. But it's an excellent test to screen for if somebody known that they snore heavily and obese, no other comorbidities, no other serious cardiovascular diseases, or, or we have a few other criteria that we have to be careful. But those could be an excellent first initial screening test for obstructive sleep apnea. And the second test is the in-lab polysomnography, which requires patients to come and spend time at the sleep laboratory for at least six hours. And during that time, we monitor the patient pretty much head to toe. We obtain multiple data points, including various brainwave activity to determine the different sleep staging and their disorder, as well as monitor oxygenation, heart rate, snoring, sleep position muscle activities and different movement disorder can be very easily detected via in-lab sleep studies, which has been the gold standard for any sleep disorder and gives me the most comprehensive, of course, evaluation. So we really determine based on every patient is unique and, and their age, gender, and their other illnesses and symptoms, which helps me determine. So we have all those options.
0: Okay, and we're getting close to being out of time, but can you tell us quickly, do you know how successful your treatments are for the various sleep disorders? Do you conduct follow-up or or do research about how it all comes out in the end?
1: Oh, absolutely. We work hard to improve the symptoms at least 90 to 100% better because once the patient go through this comprehensive evaluation and the test results and a few labs, it's come to me very easy to understand what they have. Is it a sleep disorder or is it is the medication effect or is this associated with other things? So the, for example, let's talk about the sleep apnea, right? So if I end up prescribing a CPAP prescription, so we see them first month to make sure that they are comfortable with the mask and the pressure, as well as we activate the comfort features in the device to minimize any discomfort. We have two full-time respiratory therapists. We have clinical educator and the night the register polysomnographies. That as soon as I identify, diagnose and initiate the therapy, we have whole team work for the patient's comfort and troubleshooting. So our success rate has been over 90% with the improving symptoms and maintaining their sleep health.
0: Wow, that's fabulous. Well, tell us, how can our listeners contact you to make an appointment if they'd like to?
1: So two ways, either contacting us through our website, which is www.mysleepdr.com. So it's My Sleep Doctor, but it's a DR, so www.mysleepdr.com, or calling us 520-849-7222.
0: Okay, well, unfortunately, we are out of time. There's so much more we can talk about. We may have to have you back to talk about some of these things in more detail. Okay, Dr. Oktai, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about sleep related disorders today and the Arizona Sleep Center. This is certainly something anybody can relate to, and it's very helpful. And thanks to all of you out there for being with us today. You've been listening to Broad Perspectives Radio on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Kathy Harris, and you can learn more on our Broad Perspectives Radio page at kxci.org. For now, stay tuned, because next up, we have Boom Goddess Radio with Jennifer Davis Page. Have a great Sunday, get plenty of sleep, and we'll see you next week.